Well, as we begin, let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for desiring to meet with your people. We have come here to meet with you. We consider it a blessing, Lord, that you want to reveal yourself to us. And as the deer pants for the water, so our soul longs for you this morning. So help us to learn more through the book of Nehemiah, through the work that Dave brings for us to be leaders in our families, in our marriages, in our churches, in our communities. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Kendall. Thank you so much. Today, Alan's name shall be Evie. Evie. Let me get a music stand here if I can. So when you meet Alan today, say, hey, Evie, how you doing? And, uh, you know, I told her, she said, don't get in a war with me because you'll lose. And I said, Evie, don't you get in a war with me because you'll lose. So we are at war. So it is Evie, okay? Are you ready? Alan's name this week, today is what? Evie. So everywhere you see, hey, Evie, how you doing? And uh, take her on. And uh, it's God's will that we humble her. And, uh, and he's, asked, uh, he's asked me to be the one to lead the charge. My name is Daniel. Yeah, that's something else. Great. Well, you, are you all doing okay? Doing well? Get a good night of sleep last night? Um, you didn't? I'm sorry. Um, God is good. He's good. And all the time? You guys are something else. I sent a text last night back to uh, some of our staff. Tuesday mornings in our world is our big corporate day. We just, oh, man, it just starts with meetings, 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 meetings. At, um, I'm not sure which one starts. I jump in at 10.15 with service planning meetings. There's about 10 people in the room. We're working on what's going to happen the next weekend. And then at 11 o'clock, an all-staff meeting. And then some of the pastors gather at 12.30. And then afternoon are just kind of all appointments. And so... I sent a text last night, and uh, I talked to staff about you guys, okay? I said, these guys are okay. They're pretty cool. And it, I said, just neat, and, and we're enjoying ourselves and having a good time. These guys think when I'm gone that all I do is play. And I have to, I have to kind of take one picture of me doing something that shows that I work. But uh, God is good. God is good. A um, couple things before we take off and get to where we're going, if we can. Um, Yeah, Kendall, you got some over there, buddy. That you're, you're, you're failing the team here. Um, you know, Evie goes down, Kendall goes down, we're in trouble. What are we going to do? <laughs> um, when we talk about leadership, when we're working with you guys on, on leadership, when we talk about leadership, and, and this is really kind of one of my favorite things to teach on and work on is leadership, raising the level of your leadership. Some of you only think in a single track relative to leadership. You think of what's going to be called formal leadership, formal power, formal. Like I was elected chairman. I'm the head of this committee. 
I'm the foreman. I, you, you think I'm a principal of a school. Uh, I own a company. You think of a formal tile, title of leadership. Um, I was actually, I, I learned a whole new genre of leadership when I was in India. I think I shared with you, India is probably the country that I pour into the most. I think I've had 14 trips to India. And uh, so I go over to India and I'm nothing over there. I have no title, there's no organization that sent me as head of the organization. I'm just a pastor of a local church that's been invited over by a group of pastors. And so I go over and I share. So I was probably on the 10th trip. I don't know if any of you would know Jim Keller. Jim, okay, uh, Jim went with me to India and Jim is a superintendent here of the missionary church in this area. So Jim goes with me and I go into this meeting and the brothers there, God bless you, the brothers there ask, they ask me, they say, what do we do? Should we move into Myanmar? Should we go into Bhutan, Nepal? What do we do? What do we do? I'm not the leader. And so I'm sitting there and I'm starting to think, this isn't good. I'm not the leader. And then they say, well, we have brother so-and-so that we would like to ordain. Should we ordain him? And I'm not your leader. Jim pulls me aside afterwards and he says, Dave, I don't think you understand leadership. I'm thinking, well, thank you. I teach on it quite a bit. And uh, he said, you do not understand. And he gave me a word. Now, don't freak out when I give you this word. He gave me a word and he said, there is such a thing as an apostolic leader. An apostolic leader. And I thought, well, now what are you talking about? He said, apostolic. He said, an apostolic leader is a type of person, these people you follow because of position. They've got position. So in the Methodist church, there'd be a bishop. In the missionary church, there's a district superintendent. In a school, there's a principal. There's a foreman in a job. You follow them because you have to, because Americans think chain of command, line of control. That is my leader. Who is your leader? He said there's this thing in Scripture that is taught that is called apostolic leadership, and that is people follow someone because they choose to. It's a choice. They choose to follow. And they follow not based upon position. They follow based upon respect, uh, history. Uh, they, they follow based up because their heart wants to follow them. And, and he says, you do not understand that to these Indian pastors, you are their apostolic leader. I, I'm still not feeling real good about it. So I said, explain this to me, Jim. What do you mean? He said, you have shown them that you love them because you made the journey at that point 10 times. And they've heard you preach. The test of a leader, this is an old Maxwellism from John Maxwell. The test of a leader is, are there any followers? He who thinks he's a leader and has no followers is only taking a hike. I mean, you're not doing that. You're not a leader. Now, this is the way it actually works in churches. Because in churches, there are people who are given a formal position, but they have never attained this position. When I work with pastors, I tell pastors, you go into a church and can I break you the news? You think you're the leader. You think you're the leader. You're the chaplain. You're just the chaplain. And they're going to decide over a period of time if they're going to follow you. And they're going to follow you based on how much you love them. How much you love them. If they sense you love them, people sense you love them, people sense you're going to go, they will follow you. You think you're a leader, but you're not there. Now here's the thing with Nehemiah. We're going to unpack some stuff here in a second. 
Nehemiah had absolutely zero, zip, nada, nothing of this. He was a king's cupbearer. He had no power. He had no authority. He had nothing. Nehemiah is going to develop a whole bunch of this. And people are going to follow him based upon the fact that he, they respect him. They sense his heart. They sense his calling. They sense what he's going to do. Now, I say this to you because there are some of you sitting here and you're saying, well, I'm, I'm not a leader. I've never been elected to board XYZ. I work with a ton of boards. I work with a lot of organizations. We're trying to kind of cull that down now a little bit to do better use of my time. I will tell you a secret. The real leaders in life are not those that are organizational heads, institutional people. The real leaders of life are those who have influence and people will follow. And it's amazing how that works. You have leadership that you don't know you have. The king's cupbearer is going to pull off the ultimate feat without any leadership position. No board elected. No one put their hand and said, this is the guy. There was no badge on him that said, you are the leader. It was what we call informal, or I refer to it as apostolic leadership. And by the way, when you look at most church problems, the problems happen because there's a tension between formal and informal. There's a tension between quasi-apostolic and formal leadership, and there's not alignment. And then you get agenda disharmony as it takes place. So just a little thought before we take off and get going. Because what I would really like to do is I would like to get you mentally over the hang-up. Well, I don't think I'm a leader. Or I'm an introvert. I'm an introvert. I'm an introvert. You knew that when you met me. Uh, I'm an introvert. And uh, so I can't lead. Leadership, true leadership, is based upon servanthood, love, and respect. And it's going to happen. And, and you can have that. You can have it as you do it. So what we're going to work on today, if you have your Bibles real quickly, I'd like to just do, a, do a, like a three-minute flyover so you understand. We, we did the principles yesterday on uh, the team. Nehemiah is this maximum team builder. What I'd like to do is just fly over the story real fast so we're all on common ground with the story. Then what we're going to do is we're going to work on this whole thing of the power of vision. We're going to work on vision, visionary leadership. First of all, look at chapter 1 of Nehemiah. Chapter 1 of Nehemiah, you're going to see a key verse in chapter 1, verse 4, when he gets this vision to rebuild the wall. It says, I sat down and wept for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then the last verse of Nehemiah, he says, Give your servant success today by granting him in favor in the presence of the king. I was a cupbearer to the king. Chapter 1 is all about the burden. All about the burden. Leadership, and this isn't on your sheet yet, so we'll get there in a second. Leadership to use right in accomplishing grace tact always starts with a burden. It starts with a burden, something that is, should not be. Something that is, should not be. I wear a Teen Challenge shirt today. I work a lot with Teen Challenge. If you guys go way back, Dave Wilkerson, you understand. It's kind of a, a name is, is not really a good name anymore because there's not many teens in the program. It's basically adults who, who can't function in life because of some addictive disorder. My introduction to Teen Challenge came through a lady in our area a lady, no power, no authority, that began to work with people that were caught in addictions. And she said, we got to do something about it, and it's not good. we got to make a change in this. 
And Joni and her husband Rich, bless their hearts, flawed as flawed could be, had a desire to see a teen challenge started in our area, and I got to give them credit. They have an amazing program. Every Wednesday night, I, I, there's probably about 30 guys that come down, and they're part of Teen Challenge. And it's a neat story of what's happened. It's based now in Elkhart, is the new building. In fact, I have to tell you, if you go there, you'll be blown away. Started with nothing, just moved in a few months ago into a beautiful $2.5 million facility that God miraculously provided, all paid for in full. Why? Because one lady who is average, ordinary, common, if she was here today, you would not have any idea she's the one that just simply said there was something that is that should not be. And there's all these, at that point, guys that are caught up in addictions. I don't know if you follow the opiate thing and you follow the addiction thing. This thing is rampant. We're absolutely a mess. It is unbelievable. But one lady said what is should not be. And I'm going to do this. There's an organization I work with called Ribbon of Hope. Ribbon of Hope is a story of one lady who got cancer and began to see as she went through her cancer that there was a need to minister to people spiritually at the point of their cancer. And Mary Kripe, just a, a farmer's wife, her husband farms and a mechanic, just had this burden to simply say this ought not to be and took good sequential steps in the right way and got apostolically used. Everything that's been started, that's sustained, starts out of a burden where someone says what is should not be. What is should not be. Lou and Jerry, where are you at? You're seated right here. Right over here. There you go, behind me. Took about 20 minutes last night and I just paged through your book. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. I got the distinct impression that Bayshore owes a debt to these people that they'll never be able to repay. In fact, it's just us here, and since they don't record these sessions, I'll say this. <laughs> Isn't that right, Kendall? Um, I got a text yesterday from somebody that knows these guys, and they told me a story of people that just simply poured so much into taking and resurrecting a ministry that they said this thing could be far more than what it is, and they just affirmed you guys. And that's really incredible to do that. Why? See, God doesn't choose the talented. That's a myth. God doesn't choose the talented. God chooses the average. God chooses the, God, God wants to surprise people. He doesn't put the ones that can't miss and say, I'm going to choose you. God chooses the average people to do extraordinary things because he's a superordinary God in what he does. So you've got to come to this, you, you've got to quit saying, I can't do anything. So many of you in this room are underachievers you're underachievers because you've discounted your own worth and value. I can't speak. I can't sing. I can't lead. But God's going to give you a gift to do something just like he did Nehemiah. Okay, chapter 2. Chapter 2 is the story of how he's going to pull this gig off. Chapter 2 has three or four good components of it. Number one, how's he going to get permission to do it? He goes to the king. He gets permission. How's he going to get the lumber and the materials to do it? God opens the door, and Artaxerxes works with other people along the way, and he gets all the materials together. How is he going to get the team to do it? We talked about that the other day. He takes a few good men by night. Sounds like the Marines, doesn't it? And surveys the land and builds this thing of ownership. Builds this thing of ownership. Allows people to reject the vision. Allows people to accept the vision. And pretty soon this groundswell starts to happen as he's going to do it. 
Verse 20 is a key verse. The God of heaven, he will prosper us, therefore we as people will arise and build. Now they're going to do this together. Chapter 3 is the intimate story of how the task is going to happen. And it's just a chapter that's got tons of names. It's just got names. It's got names of people, this person worked by this person, who worked by this person, who worked by this person, who worked by this person. And it's got all the worker bees lined up as to how this vision is going to be accomplished. It's just, it's, it's not romantic. It's not real sexy, chapter 3. Chapter 3 is this guy did his job, this guy did his job, this guy did his job, this guy did his job. This guy didn't do his job, but this guy did his job. You know, it has one or two. The nobles refuse to put their shoulder to the task. What it says is there's some people that'll just dump on you. They'll just quit on you. But then he goes on and says, but the rest of the people did their thing. Not everybody who starts on the journey will go on the journey. I was sharing with these guys uh, 12 years ago. I had a lady write me a letter. And uh, she wrote me a letter. And she said, have you ever considered starting a church in Shipshawana, Indiana? <laughs> I got the letter and I laughed. Uh, no, no, there are no people there. And furthermore, the people that are there are Amish. This is not in, on my radar at all. I don't have any desire to do anything in Shipshawana. We'd worked in Valparaiso, we'd worked in Middlebury, we'd worked in Warsaw, we'd worked in Plymouth, we'd done church plants and restarts in a variety of places, but Shipshawana, you gotta be kidding me. She said there are five couples that have gotten together and we have a vision. We have a vision for a church in Shipshawana. I thought Shipshawana's got enough. And then I wrote back and said, no, I haven't thought about it. She said, would you be willing to meet with five families? And I thought, oh, I'll meet with anybody. So a senior associate and I got together, we met with them. Five families sat down, and they shared a vision. They shared a vision that in Chipshawana, that there were young families, there were people from the ages of 20 to 30 that were young, they were young Christians. The typical family, the, the high school there is called Westview. So we called this family Westview, Wayne, and Windy. We made up an imaginary name for them. That Westview, Wayne, and Windy had grown up in a conservative church, They'd gotten married, had kids. They thought the church was irrelevant. It wasn't doing anything. And they left in mass for the church. And the, I'll never forget, Janie Christner looked and said, Dave, I am not content to see young families just drift off into nothing. We've got to reach Westview, Wayne, and Windy. We took 30 days. We prayed. And it's, it's, it's an amazing story. All because one lady had listened on radio, had the courage to write a letter to a guy she had never met, and out of that today, uh, yes, Sunday, there would have been a congregation of 400 people that gathered there in a, in a, in a beautiful facility in a life-giving ministry about five miles south of Shipshawana, right on State Road 5. It's the wildest story you've ever heard in your life. It didn't come from me saying, let's, let's claim Shipshawana. In fact, I didn't want to claim Shipshawana. I did not want to do Shipshawana. Um, you know, how, you, know, you know what we did? We did the Nehemiah thing. I said, okay, after we prayed through on it, we fasted and we prayed. And after we prayed, I said, guys, if you'll rent a room, do absolutely no advertising, no promotion, only word of mouth, and hold a Bible study on Wednesday nights. I want to go 10 weeks and let me just verse by verse teach through the book of Acts. And if you let me do that, I'll come over. I came over, we started the first night, 32 people in a bank basement. 32 people before the end of the 10 weeks grew to 95 people. The goofiest thing happened. These were high school kids that were coming. It's like 
I'm teaching the book of Acts. I've got white hair. This isn't good. And, and, and they came. And God began to build this. God began to build this thing. It's just the craziest thing you've ever heard. But it all started with one lady, Janie Christner. I love Janie, who just simply said, I have a burden. What is should not be. What is should not be. It's fascinating, fascinating story. For those of you the pastors, you wonder how this thing worked. Someone said, how much money did you put into it? Was this a big bucks church that just dumped thousands of dollars? Can I tell you how much cash we put into New Life? Zero. None. Didn't put any money in. In fact, I sat down early on and told them we could write, we could bankroll you all the way to the finish line. Be the worst thing in the world we could do. Because I want you to get on your face and cry out to God. I want you to learn faith. I want you to have your own stories. I don't want you to borrow my stories of how God provided. Right now they have probably a $3 million building, have about $300,000 left to finish on the payments on the building. And now they can tell the story of what God did because of one lady, one lady. You sold yourself far too short for far too long. And you said, well, I'm just. And Nehemiah didn't say that. God began to stir. You don't have to build a great church. You don't have to start a teen challenge. You don't have to do some cancer center for something. I shared with you the story of Melody Dearman, the whole birth of the AGC Baby Center in Kenya, one lady. See, this is how God works. God doesn't work like Apple or IBM, Microsoft, or Amazon. God doesn't choose a Steve Bezos or a or Steve Jobs, or Jeff Bezos, or Steve Jobs, or somebody like that that's going to do this thing. God says, I want to go get somebody that when it happens, they'll say, well, it sure wasn't because of him. <laughs> it sure wasn't because of her. So the glory goes to God and not to man. So that's the story of Nehemiah. Pretty cool. Okay, chapter 3, they all work. Chapter 4, what happens in chapter 4? Chapter 4, the wheels fall off the wagon. The wheels fall off the wagon. It ain't going so well, boys and girls. I mean, this thing that is so romantic that this king's cupbearer has gotten the approval, gotten the things. He's going to build this thing. We're going great, great guns ahead. It's all rainbows and unicorn. I mean, this thing is incredible. Not so fast, my friend, as Lee Corso would say. Not so fast, my friend, because in chapter 4, the outside opposition stirs up. Two guys by the name of Sanballat and Tobiah start coming against him. Sanballat and Tobiah, they come and say, what you're building is puny. It's not going to work. You're an idiot. You're going to fail. You're going to look like a loser not going to work. Nehemiah says, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep going. Let me tell you a secret that I'm learning. I wish I would have learned this earlier because I can tell you the story of Shipshawana, but I could also tell you stories where we failed miserably. Here's what I believe with all my heart. God will never allow us to experience unprecedented success in everything we do because if we do, we'll become proud and we'll think we have magic in our fingers. God will allow us to experience setbacks and difficulties. He'll allow us to experience hurts. And it's a part of his plan. For I know the plans. I think a guy preached on that the other night. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Said to people who are living in captivity, who it is tough being them, it's hard being them. And I'll just tell you right out of the gates, God will never allow you to experience unhindered success in everything you do. Anybody here have it? Don't raise your hands. Anybody here have a kid go bad on you? 
son or a daughter go bad? Grandson, granddaughter? Anybody here walk through the pain of divorce? Sure we have. Sure we've gone through hard stuff. Anybody here get yourself in a financial situation? There may be somebody here that says, man, my past has got bankruptcy in it. God will never allow you to experience unprecedented success. Because if you experience that, you will take for yourself more credit than what you deserve. I didn't realize this. In fact, I didn't realize this until just a couple, three years ago. In a situation where we failed miserably, failed miserably, back-to-back -back failures on two initiatives, and we went flat on our face. And it's no fun to have to stand up in front of a bunch of people and say, you know, I thought I had God's will. We thought we planned God's will, but we took a swing and a miss. And I think the Lord just was up in heaven smiling and saying, Engbrecht, I'm going to keep you humble. I want you to get on your face. I want you to be on that altar, just crying out, because if I don't show up, you're in deep weeds. Failed in a service plant we started. Started a plan of a new service, and it absolutely did not work. And it failed and had to just stand up and say, guys, took a swing and a miss, but better to try and fail than not to try. Failed in a plant we did. As in Shipshawana, it was all, you know, kind of straight up and to the right. We took over a situation where we did one, and it was straight down and to the left. And God loves us so much that he allows us to experience those things. We have, do your kids play like soccer and all that stuff? You can tell Christy this, my wife. She is just nuts because she wants them to win every game. She wants that every little league game they go to, eight years old, oh, they got to win, they got to win. She's got this competitive streak. She and Eva are a lot the same. And uh, they have this, have this competitive streak in them. They got to win. I read an article to her one time that I said, in Little League, more is won through, learned through losing than winning. You got to learn how to lose before you learn how to win. And I said, let's get together and pray the kids just get smashed tonight. <laughs> can't do that. I said, yeah, they're going to do it. We have a grandson that's an incredible swimmer. He's going to be a high school sophomore, swim state-level stuff, and in his school, he dominates in swimming. And I told her, I said, I can't wait till he gets up to the next level, because he's going to learn what it is not to win. He's going to learn what it is to not get on the stand when he goes to state, although he did. He's going to learn what it is. He goes up into zones. He's not going to do it. Now, in chapter four, Nehemiah is going to get a kick in the ribs. Uh, by the way, let me throw this in. We're going to get to the sheet here real quick. Okay, don't worry about it. It's going to go fast. The sheet's going to go fast. There is a book. If you're a reader, Dr. Neff, you're a reader. There's a book that has rattled my cage. There's a gal. It's, it's a thick book. Um, there's a gal by the name of Angela Duckworth that wrote a book. Uh, Angela Duckworth. If you can go online and get a quick review of it, it might be better. Fascinating stuff. Angela Duckworth wrote a book called Grit. And Angela Duckworth is the big researcher that discovered that success in life does not come through natural ability. Primarily, it comes through grit. People who just simply say, I'm going to put myself after this. This, this, this gal that played the, plays these offertories on the piano, Oh, my stinking goodness. These are beautiful. I sit there and I say to my wife, I think she's really good. And, <laughs> and I said to Christy last night, I said, how good do you think she is? I mean, she is so good. Can I tell you, I bet anything 
that if you saw the number of hours that she practiced to get that good, you'd go, oh my goodness. They call it the 10,000 factor. They said that anybody can get good at anything if you spend 10,000 hours. <laughs> 10,000 hours! That's why I'm very good at eating. I've spent 10,000 <laughs> hours on eating to do it. Now, this is where, this is where, I, you know what I love? We're going to get to the sheet, don't worry. Uh, here's what I love. Here's what I love. I was talking sociology. That's what you majored in, right? Social work. Here's what I love. And the older I get, the more I'm seeing this. That scripture perfectly aligns with all the intellectual academic disciplines. It proves it. So I'm reading Angela Duckworth. And I'm saying, she thinks this is some new big discovery. And she's proven this. She studied people who win the, the spelling bee. And she wanted to find out what is their life like, people who win the spelling bee. You know why they win the National Spelling Bee? It's because they're idiots. They study all the time. 12 hours a day, they study those stupid words. And they stand up there, and you watch them just do, 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 and they sit down. And I'm sitting, is, is it because they're Asian? Is it because they're Indian? Because there's a disproportionate number of winners that are Indians or Asians. She says, no. It's because they've got grit. And their culture is a culture-based grit. And uh, now I'm off track. That's why we're just a bunch of mess as Americans, because we lost our grit. We became an entitlement group of people. The government owes me. I got to do this. You owe me. You owe me a life. You owe me health care. You owe me everything. And do it for me. And these people come out of a culture that is not a, that is a work-based culture, and, and it's this thing. Of, see, that's why Nehemiah 4 is so relevant to Angela Duckworth. That's why whether it's social work, whether it's psychology, whether it's science, Scripture teaches it all in a beautiful way and shows it. And when I read Duckworth's stuff, I thought to myself, I thought to myself, this is incredible stuff. I'm a big believer in emotional intelligence, the five factors of emotional intelligence. I taught our, uh, we have a group of eight students that come in for the summer, spend the summer with us. We have six residents who are with us for, for two years, and we teach them about emotional intelligence. That real people who succeed in life are not the smart people who have intelligence. They have not only IQ, they have EQ. I'm a big believer. You study scripture, it's all about emotional intelligence. You're going to see emotional intelligence off the charts in the book of Nehemiah. He does things, you say, that is so wise. That is so wise. Chapter 4 is the chapter about grit. Chapter 5. Chapter 5, all hell breaks loose internally. Externally in chapter 4. Chapter 5, it's internal. They turn on him internally. And they say the cost is too high. We're not going to make it. We're going to be dead. Chapter 6, another external thing. And it ends up in chapter 6, verse 6. So the wall is done in an amazing way in a short period of time. Chuck Swindoll wrote a good book on this. It's entitled, Hand Me Another Brick. It's a good book. And it talks about the fact that if you study the rebuilding of the wall, it was a matter of days. It wasn't a matter of months. But if you take a look at the process to pull it off, it took a long time. Now, let's get to the sheet. Are you ready? Here we go. Kendall, you doing okay? Good. Okay, here we go. Evie's going strong over there, man. I'm, I'm channeling Evie over there, and she's... She's going strong. Okay, here we go. I want to work with you on what Janie Christner had, what Mary Kripe had, and that is the power of vision. The power of vision. Now, when you look at vision, 
someone, this is, you may say, well, I'm not a visionary. I'm not a, no, you don't need to be a visionary. In fact, wild visionaries just keep having wild visions and they frustrate everybody. What I'm talking about is God giving you a clear picture. Here, here's a phrase I'm going to use. God, write this one down. God giving you a clear picture of the preferred future. The preferred future. What you believe ought to be. What you believe ought to be. Now this could be relative to your family, relative to your marriage, relative to your kids, relative to a calling, relative to your church. God says, I want to give you that vision. Catching the vision. Step one, catching the vision. Two words. Here's your first blank. Know God. You've got to know God. If you're going to be a person, you do not catch or make up a vision. You begin to see God's vision. You begin to see life through his eyes. Chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 4. Big outside voice. Someone. We ready to go? I need a big outside voice who's going to read chapter 1, verse 4. Are you ready? Here we go. Okay, read it again, big voice. I want you to listen to this, and I want you, we're going to talk to each other, okay? In fact, real quick right now, get yourself tied into little pockets of threes or fours because we've got some work to do, okay? So find out who your buddies are, okay? Get, get, get buddy up with somebody there. Get yourself together. I want you to look at this verse because we're going to do an exercise on this verse. Come on, Kendall, cooperate. Um, okay, buddy up. Twos, threes, not more than four. Are you ready? Okay. Okay, here we go. Now let's read the verse. Let's read the verse. Listen up. Listen up. Let's read the verse. She's going to read it real loud. And as she reads this verse, I want you to say, what word, boom, jumped out at me? What word or combination of words jumped out at me? Okay, read it slow and loud. Here we go. My goodness. If she's reading that, I'm going, oh, that, that's the one. What word or words, she said, that thing just kind of jumped out of that thing. It, it, it kind of went bold on me. It went bold. What word, this isn't a right or wrong, okay? I'm not trying to trick you into this one. What word in that verse, 1-4, jumped out at you, okay? 60 seconds, take off in your, in your little buddy groups there, and let's go. What word? What word? Twenty seconds. Twenty 
okay, we're winding down. Okay, I, I'm, I'm so eager to hear the word that just bolded on you. It just, it just went boom. It shouted. What word? Wept. Why the word wept? I am too. I have a case of serious facial leakage. Yeah. Yeah, it happens all the time. And I quit apologizing for it because God wired me that way. So get over it. That's why I tell people, get over it, you know. Okay, wept. The depth of the burden. The depth of the burden. I mean, this just wasn't a little, you know, this would be nice if this wall rebuilt. I mean, this thing is like weeping. Another word, different one. Wept is off the table. Another word. Okay, fasting. What, what did fasting do to you? Oh, go to the next topic, please. Uh-huh. <laughs> Fasting's hard. It's hard. Means business. It does, and it's an action. Action, definite thing. This is so serious that I'm going to give up my hunger, my desire for food. Wow. Who said days? Matter of days. What's the big deal about that? Isn't that something? When God gives vision, it always we'll see this, it always gets proven over time. Now, there's nobody in this room except me that's impulsive, okay? Everybody here, you are very slow, and nobody does anything impulsively. I could be very impulsive, and that's why I married a person who's not. That's why I hire people who are not, because I tell everybody who works with me, I say, I hire people. I have a 1,000 ideas. You tell me which ones are good and which ones are bad. Because I could, I could be impulsive. And as I've learned, I've had to learn to grow up. And I've had to learn that I can't move on every impulse. And time and days has a way of confirming the call of God. I have a little thing I do with mission partnerships. In fact, I explained it uh, last weekend to a, to a possible partner. Um, we practice what's called three cups of tea. Three cups of tea. If we're going to partner together in a work, we're going to have to have three cups of tea before we have a partnership. It's kind of like three cups of coffee before you go out on a date. I mean, three cups of tea. First cup of tea, I want to get to know you. I want to know your heart. Second cup of tea, let's do something together. Third cup of tea, let's do something deeper and know it. And then at the end of the third cup of tea, we'll decide whether we're going to go all in on this or not. And that helps me against my impulsiveness. Impulsive ministries, impulsive visions will never stand. They'll never stand, never make it. Another, another word. Sat down. Sat down. Okay, now sat down. Why sat down? Well, what you were talking about, the impulsivity. Yep. Just relinquishing what you want to do and are going to do to hear from God. Isn't that something? He just simply said, I'm going to sit on this one. I'm going to sit down and process. So there's another word. Mourned. 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 That's the difference between a stirring and a breaking of the heart. More, this is deep. Now, do you understand how these words are all fitting together? Fast, mourn, days. There's a word back here. Heard. I, I thought about that one. I thought about that one. He heard. He heard. Wow. Prayed. Heard, prayed. Somebody else back over here had one. Heard. Heard. Before the God of heaven. 
<laughs> that is interesting. You know what's interesting about that? Is before he went to man, he went to God. You know, I think the thing with Janie's request on planning a church, she spent a long time praying on that. She spent a long time, and then finally she got the courage to look up the address, write a letter, and say, here it is. It's an amazing, amazing thing. So, basically, number one, the first thing is, let's just get the blanks so you feel better. Crossword puzzle people like blanks being filled in. Okay, number one, vision is not our dream, but God's dream. We see through God's eyes. Vision is not our dream, but God's dream. Blank number two, all things, this is a Coveyism, Stephen Covey. I really enjoy him. I know he's a Mormon and people get ticked off at me, but you'll get over it. Uh, Covey says all things are created twice, first in vision and then in reality. All things are created twice, first in vision and then in reality. So Nehemiah gets this vision of a wall that's going to be built. He creates that vision of what can be. All things are created twice, first in vision, then in reality. Number two. Okay, here we go, you impulsive birds. Number two, testing the vision, know yourself. Know yourself. Now, what Nehemiah is going to go through is this time, all these words, he's going to go through this thing of getting acquainted with who am I. Uh, my friend Terry Linhart. I, I don't sell books. Uh, Dr. Neff has written some great books over there. I was just looking through those and some really good books. There's a couple of them. The one you wrote with Ted Badson on business ethics. That, that really intrigued me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, during breaks, I'll go over and I'll page through it and look at it. It's a good book. I, I love good books. There's only one thing worse than people who don't re uh, can't read, and that's people who don't read. You've you got to read. It, reading is so important. My friend Terry Linhart, uh, professor of youth ministries at Bethel, wrote a book that is absolutely phenomenal. It's called, um, uh, it's something to do with the leader's self-awareness, uh, leadership self-awareness, lowering your self-awareness. I teach on this a lot. Never underestimate your capacity for low self-awareness. Never underestimate your capacity for low self-awareness. Most people do not know themselves very well. We have an amazing ability to practice self-deceit. And we can deceive ourselves. And low self-awareness is, is this ability we have, and it happens across the board. And Terry's, Terry's book is incredible. Uh, something like The Leader in Self-Awareness or Low Self-Awareness. If you're interested in it, just Google Terry Linhart, Amazon. It's, it's a great book. I wish there were brought some copies up and give them away to you to do it. Here's what we begin to see is you have to know yourself, number one. Is it ego or is this God? Is this ego or is this God? Why do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? There's a, does the name Bob Beal mean anything to anybody here at all? Bob, Bob was one of the, actually came out of, Mansalona area, I think. And uh, Bob was one of the founding board members with Dobson, Focus on the Family. And uh, Bob's just, he's a coach. He was a coach to Colson Swindoll. He just kind of, Bob was just kind of a legendary guy in organization systems management. 
Bob looked at me one time and penetratingly looked at me and said, Dave, why do you do what you do? And I began to understand that I had some bad fuel in me that I had to come to grips with. I had some bad fuel that I wanted to prove myself worth. And I had to learn what it was to take that bad fuel. And I don't know how this works into your theology. Theology of personal holiness and entire sanctification. And even in spite of that, our humanity can have bad fuel in it. A lot of times we look, am I okay? Am I okay? Am I okay? Our insecurities rise up. We all face those things. And Nehemiah has to go through this purging. And he has to, he has to test, test the vision. Test the vision. Number two, is this impulsiveness? Or is this a call? Number three, is it borrowed? Or is it mine? Is my vision for what God wants to do I saw it happen somewhere else. It's a young man that started a church for us. I love him, Jeff Heisler in Valparaiso, Indiana. And when Jeff went to Valparaiso, we made a tragic error. And that is Jeff wanted to create a little Napanee in Valparaiso. And God never does the same things twice. And we had to take Jeff and just take the hands off and say, Jeff, Napanee is Napanee. It's weird. Valparaiso is Valparaiso. You've got to discover the unique thing that God wants to do through you. Some of you have children that want to experience what you experience. They're unique. They're not going to be used like you were used. God's going to give them a whole thing. We can't borrow things. Uh, When I first started preaching, I wanted to be everybody I was not. When I first started preaching, I would listen to these guys that were incredible orators how they could just, oh, they could go on oratorical things. Dr. Neff, you would know a lot of the names of some of the guys that I tried to be like. And I tried every way. When I heard Jimmy Lentz years ago, I thought there's no preacher like Jimmy Lentz. So I tried to be Jimmy Lentz. Then I tried to go in this straight monotone thing like Dr. Mern Harris, who was president of the college I went to. And it didn't work. And finally one day, God just set me free. He said, Dave, you're Dave. There's not another one like you. Just be who I made you to be. Be comfortable in your own skin. Some people you'll wear out. Some people will say, man, I don't care. It's not about you. It's about me. And so you have to know yourself. Can I just parenthetically say something? Sometimes we all kind of come out of a similar movement. Most all of us come out of a Wesleyan tree in background, whether you're Methodist, whether you're Nazarene, uh, Wesleyan, missionary, whatever it is. We kind of come off a, a similar tree. And one of the flaws of our tree is, is that we sometimes lack the ability to go deep because we think God does everything in two works and the deal's done. I'm saved. I'm entirely sanctified, filled with the Spirit, and we never go deep into full health. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 came alive in a new way. And may the God who makes everything holy and whole make you holy and whole and put you together, body, soul, and spirit, and keep you fit for the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
and at 65 years of age, God is still working and perfecting all the imperfections, all the idiosyncrasies, all the issues in my life. And if you could spend time with Christy and me, we would simply say, we've got to, every day we're working through stuff. Every day we have to do this, but you have to know yourself. My dad's mother died when my dad was 16. He was the oldest boy in the family on the South Dakota prairie. My grandmother never remarried. She lived on the farm with seven kids in the Depression. It's terrible. Dad had to take the farm over at 16. So dad had built into himself this work ethic that was incredible. It was incredible. In fact, we grew up that there are two types of people in this world, those who work and those who don't. Which side are you going to be on? We grew up, though, where it got twisted into a lie. I'm indebted to Neil Anderson. I'm indebted to Neil Anderson helping me through some lies that I had mistakenly believed. And so we grew up that the harder you work, the better you are. The more you accomplish, the better the person you are. And what had good truth to it in survival in my grandmother came dysfunctional inside of me. And I'll never forget the night I preached out of state eight hours away on a Saturday night. Finished preaching, got in the car, drove home, jumped in the shower, went in and preached a normal Sunday morning at church. And I got home and I thought, maybe I'm okay now. And I discovered I had believed a lie that my worth was determined on how much I could produce, not who I was in Jesus Christ. It actually was speaking up this way where the Spirit of God got a hold of me, and I discovered in my heart seven lies that I had believed. And I'm indebted to Neil Anderson. And on a Sunday morning, in front of the entire church, on radio, I had to, I had to renounce seven lies in my life. And one of them was the lie that the harder I work, the better I am. And that led to dysfunction, led to workaholism, led to relationships that were strained. And then I had to announce who I was in Christ. Now, God is never going to take us to where he can fully use us until he goes down deep and does a deep work. Do you know what this thing is like? This thing is like peeling the layers of an onion. And you peel a layer, and what happens? Whoops, we got another one. We got another one. And I'm going to be peeling layers until I look Jesus in the eye, and he says, buddy, we got it together. And the work is fully done. Now, this is where Nehemiah shows me this health because he knows himself. And that verse, all the things you said, you know, prayed, mourned, wept, days, incredible stuff. Okay, let's go back to the crossword puzzle. Am I willing to pay the price following the vision? Oh, is it barred or is it mine? Number three, am I willing to pay the price? Number one, following the vision will have a high price physically. B, A is physical. B is financial. I'm not going to talk about these. C is relational. And D is emotional. A, physical. B, financial, C, relational, D, emotional. Okay? Work through that stuff. Fascinating. Number three, this is where it all breaks down. So we've got this vision. God gives us a vision. Now what we have to do is we've got to transfer the vision. Did you get them all? 
C, okay, here we go. A is physical, B, financial, C, relational. There'll be a price to play in relationships, and D is emotional. By the way, you will live, when you follow the vision, you'll live on the verge of emotional exhaustion. I mean, this guy's about ready to die when you go through this. Okay, here we go. Step three, transferring the vision. This is where it messes up. This is where it messes up. God gives us a vision, but we can't get that vision to have ownership beyond ourselves. This is what I love about Nehemiah. Is it Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 12, where it says, he said to a few good men, uh, Nehemiah 2, 12, look over at this, uh, verse 11 and 12. Um, hey, real quick, I need a big outside voice person to do verse 11 and 12. Who do I have that's big outside? You're going to take off on 2, 11, and 12. Okay, let's go. Now, now listen, as he does this, listen to the word that jumps off out of these verses at you, okay? Because there's a ton of words here. Go ahead. Here we go. Okay, real quick, find your buddy, word that jumped out. What, what, what word jumped out at you? Look at that in 11 and 12. What word jumped out at you? You said that is an impactful word. Are you ready? Buzz, real quick, going to give you 45 seconds. What word jumped out? Not a right answer. Find the one that hit you. Are you ready? Buzz. Come on, Kendall. You could do a phrase. Not going to give you much longer. Good. When you get it, raise your hand. If you got it, raise your hand. You got your word? Got it? Got it? Okay, for the sake of time, real quick, what's the word? I told no one but God. Why did that jump out? What, what about that got you? Um, well, part of it is that the reaction of the few men is going to be honest. It's not going to be based on his trying to sell it. Love it, love it, love it. Love it. Mm, that one kicks me in the rear because I'm a salesman. God's got to be the salesman. I'm convicted. Okay, what, what'd you get? Few men. Few men. Few men. These guys got few men. Few men. One horse. Few men. There's something about this that is fascinating. Anybody else do the few men thing? Anybody else get that? What other words did you get? During the night. Now, you understand that is very strategic. You go during the day, they're going to say, hey, who's this guy snooping around here? What's going on? How'd he get over here? Who is he? What's going? Very strategic. Very strategic. Any other words? One horse. One horse. Went. Went. 
Do you know that is interesting? So interesting, I'll call you Kevin now. Uh, <laughs> no, that is. Most people are not willing to take that one step. And nothing happened. It's all dreams until he took that one step and he went. I love, I hadn't thought about that word. Somebody back over here. What's that? What's the word? Staying? Stayed. Went and stayed three days. Went and stayed. Got a word? (laughs) Yeah, Jerusalem, city of God. But he goes right to the place. And he says, we're going to do it. Now, what you're going to see here is a fascinating, fascinating concept of transfer of vision. Here it is. Here it is. No God, no people. No people. And what he does is, by getting a few good men, he shows us a very good leadership principle here. Uh, So transferring the vision, your big blank is no people. Uh, Let me just give you the blanks, and then you'll all sleep better tonight. Here we go. Number one. Number one, know your influencers. I have a hunch who those few good men were the right good men. Know your influencers. He took the right people. He knew people that were going to have this apostolic type of leadership because if they're going to go, it's going to go. And he knew he took the right few good men. Know your influencers. Number two, Start with small group leaders, work through appropriate boards and committees. Number three, don't get in a hurry. 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 I have a little statement I use. I'll go on the record here and tell you what it is. Sometimes I've discovered with vision, we have to let people say no so we can get to the yes. I have to give people the right to say no. Because... Some people, do you ever meet people, they're, they're just no people. They're just against everything. They're just against the sunrise, sunset. I had, a, I had a fellow in the first church I pastored out of college. He was the most negative person I've ever met in my life. Seriously. He'd walk by the church and I'd say, hey, buddy, beautiful sunshiny days. Yeah, it's raining somewhere. You know, seriously. He did that. He was terrible. He was terrible. So I always understood with every idea that I had, I had to let, I gave him permission in fact, one time I went to him and said, could we get to the no real quick so I can get to the yes? Because he just has to have that. I had an employee that was that way. That every time anything was presented, it's not going to work, it's going to fail. So finally I went to him and I said, now you have a gift. You have a gift of being able to always get to the yes, but you always drive through no to get there. So let's get the no over with real fast so we can get there. But you have to give people the opportunity to say no. If you have a strong, dominant, overbearing personality, you won't give people the time and space they need to process. We all process at different speeds. I wish you could meet the team I work with. I've worked with Don Rohr for 34 years. As a staff, we've been together forever. And Don's been 34 years with me. And Don will always say to me at the end of the meeting, he said, Dave, could you let me process that one? I'll get back to you tomorrow. And it's always the right thing to do because he said, my processor is very slow. I need to process this one. Never holds things up, but does that. So what you learn on this one as he transfers the vision, he gave him three days, don't get in a hurry. And then number four, deal relationally with those who reject the vision. Deal relationally with those who reject the vision. Not everyone's going to get on board with the vision. Not everyone's going to go with the vision. So you deal relationally. I am a gigantic proponent of relational leadership. Can I tell you something? I work with a bunch of millennials. If you're here and you're a millennial, I love you. 
You're amazing. You're a challenge because I don't quite understand how you think because I think a little differently. But I love working with millennials because I've discovered something about millennials. That if you know them, if you love them, and you're authentic with them, you can have an incredible relationship. And so I'll go in with millennials I work with and say, you're going to have to help me on this one. I think a little differently on this. I come out of a different generation. I come out with different values. And you know, we come to it together, and some of the best employees I work with are young millennials who get it. By the way, they'll die for a cause. They will die for a cause. They will absolutely die. We got a young millennial that took off for Thailand. I thought, well, who are you going with? How's this going to work? Did you get vetted with an organization? No, God called me. So we sat down, we prayed, and it's going to be a great thing. It's going to work. It's a different thing. If you have children that are millennials, fasten your seatbelt because you have a different wiring in your brain than they have. And I actually think God has raised up some incredible millennials that are going to shake us up for the cause of Christ and the cause of the kingdom. Number four, implement the vision. Implement the vision. Yeah, I'm going to move quickly through this one because this kind of takes on a different road depending on where I'm at. Uh, know your strategy. Know your strategy. This is where a lot of times we break down. This is know your strategy. So how are we going to go about doing this? How is this going to happen? You know, sometimes we have the idea that God just took David and just kind of, David had a strategy with Goliath. It wasn't just a silly thing. David was good at what he did. He didn't know, he, he knew what a slingshot was. He knew where to aim that sucker. He knew when to charge. He was anointed by the Spirit of God and he did it. Gideon, the most bizarre, bizarre story next to Joshua and Jericho. There is a strategy in Gideon. It's just, a, it's a genius strategy. It's a genius strategy of the shout and the breaking of the, of the jars and, and the people catching them at the right time. It's God's strategy. Sometimes we think that God just, just does things without being very strategic. God is incredibly strategic in how he created Adam, how he created the earth, how he did things, how he made waters and sun and skies. And so God wants us, when we do vision, to have good strategies and to use those. Number one, get the right people. Get the right people a part of it. And here I talk about it in the form of master planning. And let me give you number three. Number three, encourage free discourse discussion, and disagreement. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because I'm really focused now more on working with church leadership groups than at a camp meeting. But I really do believe with all my heart, you need to figure out God's strategy. How are you going to do your marriage? How are you going to raise your kids? What's this thing going to be like? Did you give you all the blanks? Number one, right people. Number three, encourage full discourse, discussion, disagreement. Let me give you the last one. Cookies are going to start to call. And when cookies call, man, it is over. Evie's probably already over there. Okay, here we go. Know your strategy. Number five. Know the times. Know the times. Um... Being an old Wizard of Oz fan, Dorothy, we're not in Kansas anymore. It's a different day. 
Is it an old Maxwellism or who had this one? If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. Change is hard. It's tough. It's tough. So what you see in Nehemiah is this ability to build a plan that is in a state of flux. To build a plan that it's going to adjust. Um, we're going to talk about this in, in one of the other days. Nehemiah had this ability that when the enemy came with a double attack, he had, to, he, had, he had to improvise. He had to go on the fly. He had to do a, we call it in Indiana, he had to do a Peyton Manning. That means an audible. He had to go to the line, of, he's, he's kind of one of the gods in Indiana. Uh, he, he had to do an audible. He had to go to the line of scrimmage, and, and Manning would go to the line of scrimmage, and go, Omaha, Omaha, Omaha. Remember when he would do that, he'd call that out, people, what does that mean, Omaha? And then he'd call out another play. He called an audible in the moment. Nehemiah was so attuned that he was not inflexible that he caused an audible and says, guess what? I know you guys are all working on the wall. Here's the gig. You work on the wall. You pick up a weapon and you guard her while she works on the wall. And you pick up, uh, you, you, you dig, get your shovel, go to work. And you go to work, but you too are going to go back and, and you're going to guard them while they do it. And he does this strategy. We'll have some fun with this one. He divides them up by families. Oh, this one, this one blows my mind. You talk about a God genius moment. They're all ready to quit. The wall's half done. And he puts them in families. And we're going to have some fun with that one when we get into it on how God works. But you have to understand the times. Different times deserve different actions. Um, a master plans a state of flux. Make sure you fail forward. Make sure you fail forward. Make sure you fail forward. Understand the value of momentum. And what you're going to see in Nehemiah in his leadership is, is he never failed backwards. He just went forward when they met resistance. I was speaking to a group of uh, pastors. And uh, pastors, we're unique animals. Um, I discovered something with pastors that my speaking with pastors was much more effective when I told them our 10 biggest failures where I pastored. 10 times that we just whiff, took a swing and we whiffed. And there's something about the humanity of failure that puts the ground very level for all of us. But what I tried to tell them is, in every time we fail, let's learn a lesson and push forward. I told the story, and I'll, I'll close with this. Uh, I told the story of a children's pastor at our church who came to me and said, we're going to have a great children's program. There was, this, there was this gospel magician guy. He, he's a magician. And she said, this guy is incredible. She said, I have heard this guy do these magic things, and it's incredible. It's going to be the greatest thing ever happened at the church, and the whole world's going to get saved this night. Big children's rally night. And I, I read a letter of recommendation from Chuck Swindoll that said, this guy is the cat's meow. So we booked him. And that night before the program starts, before the program starts, he comes into my office. He said, now do you have counselors lined up? People are going to get saved tonight. Lives are going to be changed. You're going to see, he just, he just, I said, yeah, we're all lined up. We're all ready. And he looked at me. He said, now here's the way it works. I'm going to do 45 minutes of just straight magic straight magic 
And everybody's going to think there's nothing spiritual about this. But I'm getting them in my hand. I'm going to hook them. And then I'm going to come in and I'm going to do this final thing on the cross of Christ and the power of Jesus to forgive sins and get your people ready. I'm thinking this is a pretty good thing. It's going to be great. So he comes into the service and he starts out and he does 45 minutes of pretty decent tricks. It's not bad, but I'm ready now. And I, I could sense the older people in the church were saying, is it coming? Is there a message or is this just David Copperfield? You know, what's going on here? What's happening? 45 minutes in, I know what's going to happen because revival's breaking out at NMC. It's going to take place. 50 minutes, nothing much happens. And everybody's getting more restless. Then pretty soon he says to the congregation, everybody on your feet. Let's do that YMCA thing. And they start playing the song, YMCA. Now, in our church, that doesn't work real well. That, that didn't go over. People weren't really getting excited about it because they're ready. I got the counselor ready to go. And then he says, and for my final act tonight, he said, I want to show you a levitation. I can sense the air go out of the room. Call someone up on stage, gets them on this thing, lights go down, puts this over. It was really a bad trick. But anyway, he, he gets them up there and pulls this thing out and makes it look like there's been this levitation. That's after he's done all these big oversized card tricks and everything else. And he does this thing up there. And he stands up. And he says, great to be with you tonight. God bless you. Have a great night. And I'm going, oh, Lord. And I walked the back, and I had congregants lined up, not to receive the blessing of the Spirit of God, but say, Pastor, what did you do? It was brutal. I wanted to strangle the man. I, I, I was not happy. I couldn't believe what he did. I couldn't believe what he did. And for the whole week, I took a beating. And I wanted to hang out Chuck Swindoll for writing that letter of recommendation. Wanted to hang out the gal that talked me into booking him. So the next Sunday morning, I had to get up in front of the entire church. And I said, you know, we've had a lot of great programs here. And God's done a lot of great things over the years. But last Sunday night, we went into the batter's box and took a big swing and a miss. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And ah, by God's grace, it'll never happen again. And if you could forgive me, and I, it was hard for me to say that because I didn't think it was truly all my fault. <laughs> if you'll forgive me, we're going to go forward. Do you know what happened? It's really funny. If you come into the old timers today and say, hey, tell me about that magician, they will laugh their heads off because God allowed us to fail forward. Because what they learned is, is that here's how we're going to handle failure. We're not going to sweep it under the rug. We're not going to fight. I'm not going to let you throw a carnal fit. I'm not going to let you do this and threaten to leave the church and take 20 people with you. Come on, let's all take a deep breath now. It happened. It was wrong. We're going we're gonna to go forward in the midst of it. And that was a leadership test for me. I barely passed it. My heart wasn't feeling real good about it. There were thoughts of murder in my mind. <laughs> but I was able to make it through it, as you learn how to know the times. Father, thanks. Teach us. Make us better. There are things that you have for people in this room that would blow our minds. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. So, Father, just like Nehemiah was just a cupbearer, 
but he was yours, and you used him to do incredible things. So I pray, Father, that you'd help us to be used by you to do incredible things. Thanks, Lord. I pray you'd be with us in the next class. Take the learning here and just let it amplify as we learn. In your name we pray, and all God's people said? No, no, no. All God's people said? Cookies. No, cookies. (laughs) And all God's people said? Cookies. God bless you.